It was the week before Christmas, and all through the house, a creature was stirring. And boy, what a rat. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Industrial Insurers Incorporated, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Mr. Eben Stevens, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of small-time swindles of big-time department stores. Uh, or how I played Santa Claus and almost got left holding the sack. Or going for a sleigh ride without benefit of snow can be tough sledding. Expense account, item one. One dollar. Tip to messenger who delivered this assignment writing by hand to my apartment. Thanks, Mr. Dollar. You have never been known as a fast man with a buck, Mr. Stevens, and I must say your note to me also marked you in my mind as an economist with words. Dear Dollar, our client, the Association of Department Stores of Greater Manhattan, has requested help on the following problem. A young man has been making the rounds of New York department stores during the current Christmas rush. Using his equipment and official-looking sales book, he goes to a business department, makes a quick sale on some large item, writes it up in his furious sales book, takes the customer's cash, and disappears. Enclosed find varying descriptions as furnished by victims to date and um, check for your usual retainer fee. Please put a stop to this nefarious practice at once. Signed, Eben Stevens, General Manager. Expense account, item two, $6.21. Train fare, Hartford to New York. Next morning at 7.03 on the Banker's Special. A train uh, very cleverly named that because 75% of its load is made up of bankers. I sat among them in a parlor car, watching them limbering up for the day's chores, slowly shaking their heads from side to side and softly whispering, no. We arrived at Grand Central at 9.20. The bankers got off and headed for their granite vaults. I got off and headed to face my stone wall. Expense account, item three. Four bits, cab fare to offices of the Association of Department Stores of Greater Manhattan. There, things got brighter right away. Her name was Judy Whitehall. Boy, how she'd been missed by the scouts for the Copacabana, I'll never know. I have been assigned to help you all I can, Mr. Dollar. What would you like to know first? Your home phone number. <laughs> oh, well... Maybe we better wait until later for that. Uh, how many stores are there in your association, Miss Whitehall? We have 120 member stores, Mr. Dollar. Mm, great. You know, in one department store, I'm the kind of a guy that can't find the glove department. And now I've got 120 stores in which to find someone I don't even know. Well, we do have the man's description. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have a lot of descriptions, all slightly different. And the regular store detectives are all on the lookout. Mm, like looking for a noodle and a spaghetti sack. And all the sales personnel have been warned. Beautiful. What's beautiful? Your face. Well, really, Mr. Dollar. Hmm? After all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I know. Business. Well, before I start, maybe you'd better give me a letter of, ident of identification. If I spent all day moseying around department stores without buying anything, I can stand a good chance of getting picked up as a shoplifter. Right away. Follow me. All right. Oh, just a minute. Hello, this is Miss Whitehall. Oh, yes, Mr. Sandler. Oh, my, that's terrible. My goodness, that's awful. Good gracious, that, that's worse. Well, well, the insurance investigator is here right now, Mr. Sandler. We'll, we'll be right over. What's uh, so terrible? Well, that man, the one we're looking for, he was in the Miller store making a phony sale in the camera department. Oh, you also said it was awful. It was. A, a little girl picked up a camera and snapped his picture, and the man tried to take it away from her, and the girl yelled, and then her mother screamed. And what made it worse? Well, a store detective came running, and the man shot him. Then he grabbed the little girl, camera and all, and, and ran off. They called the police. Really? I can't imagine why. <laughs> The mob scene in the Miller store would have made the Notre Dame bank feel hotter uncle. Christmas neckties were selling like hotcakes. 
Only compared to most of the ties, a hot cake would look better on you. The camera department was on the mezzanine, and the store manager, Mr. Sander, was on a rampage. Why doesn't somebody do something? Why can't they find him? I've got men posted on every door. He's in this store somewhere, and... Oh, Miss Whitehall, it's about time. Who's this? This is Mr. Dollar, Mr. Sandler, from the insurance company. Well, I don't know what you can do, Dollar. I've already got 20 policemen running all over the store. It's absolutely ridiculous, preposterous, and fantastic. That's what it is. Also amazing. Now, tell me, Mr. Sandler, about that little girl who picked up the camera and snapped the culprit's picture. Did they find her yet? They certainly did, in the rug department. She'd been shoved in the middle of a pile of 9 by 12 Orientals on sale at 123.50. She was scared, but not hurt. And the girl was found without the camera, I suppose. Naturally, but the camera wouldn't do us any good. After all, I'm sure the camera didn't have any film in it. They never do when they're on display. Well, how about the store detective, the one who got shot? In the hospital, Miss Hall. They'll call me here as soon as they find out how badly he's been hurt. Well, look, getting back to that kid, was she able to give you a good description of the guy who grabbed her? She hasn't stopped crying long enough. Well, how about her mother? Neither is she. Well, where are they now? They're in my office. That's why I'm staying right here. Where is your office? On the eighth floor, right next to the credit office. Well, this may be the first time I ever got past the credit office. Come on, Judy. Oh, Bobby, come on. Blow your nose. There. Now be a brave little girl. have another try, Mrs. Jenkins. All right, Mr. Dollar, if you think it'll do any good. All right. Oh, come on now, Bobby. All you have to do is tell us what that bad man looked like. We'll get him, and then we'll fix him. Come on now, huh? I don't want to. He'll kill me. I'm beginning to think he's got a point. Okay, Bobby. Okay, okay. Just a minute now. Oh, Judy. Here. Yes, Johnny? Looks like it's a child psychologist. I'm nothing. At this point, I feel like telling little Bobby to go out and play with some old razor blades. Got any suggestions? Well, uh, it is almost Christmas. Yeah. And one thing little girls don't want to do at Christmas is get in wrong with Santa Claus. Ah, gotcha. Good gal. <laughs> Where do we find Santa Claus? In the toy department on, on the fifth floor. Well, give me about five minutes to explain things to Santa and then bring Bobby down. All right. Oh, Bobby. What? Do you know what happens to little girls who make Santa Claus mad at them? Yes. What happens? They don't get to look at television before they go to bed. I mean, at Christmas, what happens? They don't get any toys. All they get is old sweaters and underwear. Well, listen, Bobby. This guy Santa happens to be a good friend of mine. What do you think of that? Tell him I want an air rifle. You would. Okay, okay. I'll even fix it so you can tell him yourself. How's that? Just fine. Ah, good girl. Hey, where'd you get that blood on your coat? You got a cut? No, sir. That's from that bad man. I bit him on the hand. <laughs> hmm. Okay, Judy. Here I go. Oh, and uh, on the way down, maybe you better stop by the dog supply department and buy little Bobby a muzzle. If the kid doesn't like his looks, old Saint Nick may get nicked. <laughs> Department stores should have some kind of a congressional medal for salespeople who work in the toy department just before Christmas. I took the elevator down to five, and when that door slid open... It was like stepping into Dottie's Inferno, junior grade. First, I got on a house phone and called Sandler, who was still in the camera department. He'd had word from the hospital. The store detective had died without regaining consciousness. I was no longer trying to catch a cheap swindler. I was now out to swap blood with a dirty murderer. A line of fidgety kids led me to Santa Claus, sitting benignly on his throne. I had a short talk with him and a short wait for Judy and little Bobby. Okay, Santa, now we've got to make her talk. That is, you've got to. All right, Dollar. All right now, kiddies, you'll have to wait for a moment. We have a special little visitor coming to see me. Hello, Johnny. All set? Yeah, all set. 
Okay, Bobby, my girl. Now, just let me give you a hoist up into Santa's lap. He wants to ask you a few questions. I want an air rifle. Now, you'll be a good little girl and answer all Santa's nice questions, and you'll get it. But not where I'd like to give it to. Up you go. Uh, Yes, well, there we are, honey. Now, tell me, what do you want for Christmas? I want an air rifle. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. Tell me, have you been a good little girl? Yes, sir. Hmm. Well, first, we'll just have to look up your name in my little black book and make sure. Hmm, pretty good. All but one little thing. What I do? I didn't do nothing. Well, that's just it. You you see, Bobby, I have a note here that today some people asked you what a certain man looked like and you wouldn't tell them. Is that right? I'm afraid. I don't want to tell. They can't make me. Mm-hmm. Well, Bobby, maybe you and I had better talk this over. If you won't do something for us, now, how do you expect it? Little Bobby's description of the murderer wasn't the greatest by any means, but it was better than none at all, with which we had been furnished by the personnel in the camera department and the kid's mother. We took the girl to the advertising department where an artist made a sketch. Armed with a drawing, we made a tour of the store exits, showing it to the police posted on every door, giving them a rough idea what to look for. A medium-billed, pudgy man with black hair. And when they came across such a character, he was to be issued an invitation to show his hands. If he was sporting Bobby's teeth marks, then they'd really know. Well, this chore out of the way, Miss Whitehall and I sank our teeth in a pair of sandwiches in the tea room. The Shopper's Delight Sandwich, to be exact. Cream cheese, walnuts, watercress, and pineapple on whole wheat bread. Mmm. We found the store manager, Sandler, back in his office. He, too, was eating, but he was on a diet of straight fingernails. Oh, terrible, terrible, terrible. That's what it is. Now, don't worry, Mr. Sandler. He'll be caught. As a swindler, he might have gone on for years. But as a murderer, it won't be long, believe me. Oh, what to do, what to do, what to do? Well, I've got several ideas. And the first is to get out of your office and start at the top of the store and work my way down. They're already doing that. Another sign of him. Well, I once found a mouse in a hayloft, so be not disencouraged. And a pretty little mouse she was. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, please, try to relax, Mr. Sandler. Everybody's doing your best. Yes, I'm sure they are. It's just that I... Oh. Hello? Yes, this is Mr. Sandler. Oh, no. Where? How long has he been there? Hello? I'll be right down. What's the matter now? About an hour and a half ago, our store, Santa Claus, stepped out into the employee's restroom for a smoke. He was slugged from behind. When he came to, he was all tied up in a broom closet, and somebody has stolen his Santa Claus suit. They just found him. About an hour and a half ago. Judy, you know what that means? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Forty-five minutes ago, when little Bobby was giving Santa Claus the murderer's description, he was giving it to the murderer himself. Oh, good gracious. Instead of a kid's air rifle, it could have gotten us a revolver, size 38. In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Johnny Dollar, but first... CBS is going to bring you one of the biggest presents you ever received from show business tomorrow afternoon, Christmas Day. For a full hour on the entire CBS network, you're going to get all the comedy, all the laughs, and one of the greatest Broadway and Hollywood hits of recent years, The Man Who Came to Dinner. And The Man Who Came will be played by none other than Jack Benny, plus Charles Boyer, Gene Kelly, Dorothy McGuire, Gregory Peck, and Rosalind Russell, plus Henry Fonda and John Garfield as narrators. You'll hear them all on CBS's special holiday hour tomorrow afternoon. Jack Benny, playing the man who came to dinner and breaking a leg, had to stay on and on and on. Now with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. There's no place like a crowded department store for a fresh-made murderer to be on the loose especially one that's playing Santa Claus for a lot of rosy-cheeked little nippers. I headed back to the toy department. But when I got there, the cupboard was bare. 
Our lethal St. Nick had decided to give up his red flannel and white whisker hiding place. We found the empty suit in a storeroom, tossed high on a stack of baby buggies. Oh, Johnny, this is terrible. That man's a murderer. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Now, listen, Judy. By now, there must be 87 cops sifting through this store looking for that guy. They've got two cops on every door. Now, all I'm going to do is help them look. This is one of those everybody's problems. You're right. I guess I'm just getting excited. Well, that you have a right to do. Come on, let's get out of here. I've got an idea. All right, Johnny, I... Oh, Mr. Dollars, thank goodness I found you. Mr. Sandler wants you right away, down on three. An old lady has just been shot in junior Mrs. Lingerie. Serves her right for not acting her age. Let's go, Judy. Right over here, Dollar. All right. Let him through, please. Let him... Lady, please stand back now. Well, Dollar, congratulations. Before, this store was only going to sue that company of yours for one million dollars. Considering what this shooting will do to our reputation, I'm going to make that five million. Now, Mr. Sandler, keep your powder dry. First of all, it's not my company. And second, you can't sue them for something they didn't do. And third, you'd better get this poor old gal to a hospital. How badly is she hurt, and how did it happen? The doctor's on his way, and we've sent for an ambulance. This woman was lost out on the back stairway looking for the ladies' room. That maniac saw her coming toward him and ran down the stairs, firing over his shoulder. The bullet just seems to have grazed her left side. Uh, pretty lucky. Where are the police? They're searching all over the store. Dollar, what are we going to do? This is terrible for business. Well, I suspect that any minute now, the cops will be telling you to do something that's going to be even worse for business. Close the store. Well, but close the store? Why, we're staying open late tonight. It's the last-minute rush. I'm just telling you what I think. I think the cops will double the lookouts on all the doors and make you close the store. Then they can go to work. We lose thousands of dollars. They can't make me close the store. If you stay open, you might lose a few more customers. The hard way. Where's that doctor? He'll be here any minute. Oh, well, Mr. Sam. Well, yes, what is it? Well, they called up from the sporting goods in the basement. That man has been down there and held them up. And he took four guns and six boxes of ammunition. Six boxes of... Oh, my. Oh, what's this going to do to our store? If you're not careful, it's going to turn your store into the world's largest shooting gallery with live targets. You know what I suggest, Mr. Sandler? Uh, what? What? Tell me what. Don't wait for the police to tell you. Close the store. <laughs> Sandler didn't like it, and neither did the customers. As they filed out of the store, past the scrutiny of the police officers, still clutching their unfinished Christmas shopping list. The process was slow, and while the customers were leaving, the clerks finished up their business, put the white shrouds over their counters, and they too filed out into the early night. The boys in blue, watching the doors, came up with several men answering the general description of our friend with a loose trigger finger, but none of them had little Bobby's teeth marks on his hands. That made it a 50-50 chance that Mr. Killer was still in the building. There's nothing more eerie than a department store after closing. And it's white sheets. The whole joint seemed to be playing ghost. I sent Judy over to a steakhouse, Pietre's, on 3rd Avenue. Told her to wait. Then I had Sandler get me a gun from the sporting goods department. For that lonely, scared feeling, there's no medicine that quite takes the place of a piece of cool steel in your little hot hand. The sergeant, in charge of the police detail, posted men outside all exits. The rest, he took up to the roof with them. They were going to run the whole store through their burly blue sieve, floor by floor, counter by counter, inch by inch. Sandler stayed with me down the first floor. Just for fun, I thought I would start working my way up. Dollar, hmm? don't you think we should get out of here and leave this to the police? Well, I have several goosebumps that agree with you, Mr. Sandler, but uh, I have a very dangerous habit of trying to earn my money. Oh, this is terrible. Well, look, every counter and post in this store is just the kind of hiding place a sniper would pray for. I get paid for this kind of work. You don't. Now, why don't you go out for a nice safe walk? It's my duty to stay here. I'm sticking with you. Okay. But remember, two of us gave him twice as much to shoot at. No, it I had to go and open my big mouth. Get down. 
Getting down on that floor could have been committing suicide in itself. The killer's bullet had crashed into a showcase. A sea of broken glass is a risky place to practice diving. Having to swim out of it was twice as bad, but that's what I had to do. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Now, Sandler, keep your head down. Bury your face in that glass, but keep your head down. Yes, Dollar. Tell me what to do, anything but get me out of here. I have a wife and three kids. Well, if you'll do what I tell you to do, your wife will go on having a husband and your kids will still have a father. Yes, yes, just, just tell me. I don't know exactly where that shot came from, but from the looks of this glass, it must have been from behind us. Now, I'm going to leave you and crawl over near those elevators. While I'm on my way, you rattle around in this glass. Let him hear where you are. Give me about two minutes, and then do something to draw his fire. Do what can I do? Do anything but one thing. Don't stand up. I'll think of something. You'd better. But don't take any chances. No, no. But what are you going to do? Take some chances. Once I was on my way, Sandler went to work with a vengeance. I could hear him thrashing around in that glass like he was trying to corner the Band-Aid market. I made it over to the elevators, scooting flat along the floor till I hit a car with an open door and slithered inside. Behind the protection of the elevator's front wall, I stood up, peered over at the edge of the door, and waited for Santa to make the move that would draw the murderer's fire. I must say Santa was dead game, and the way he made his move, he also stood a good chance of becoming plain dead. First, he stopped wiggling around on his bed of glass, and then he just stood straight up. The shot missed, but my eyesight didn't. The killer was shooting from high up, behind a pole. He was standing up on a glass showcase, hoping for a better view. And it didn't take me long to decide to give him a better view of the inside of that glass showcase. I started deliberately shooting his foothold out from under him. He was bleeding beautifully when I started to run, straight for the back of the store, firing as he ran. As one last souvenir, he threw his empty gun over his shoulder at me. People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw guns. I decided to join the track team and won on the chase. Back out of the main floor, through the employee's entrance, out to the dimly lit shipping department, and its loading dock filled with packages ready for shipment. I could hear him moving around among them. Okay, get your hands up and come out. I'm giving you a chance, but it's not going to last long. Get moving. I don't need your chance. I've got something better. Okay, so you want to play. I think I'll give you a couple of Yuletide presents early, and I'm sure nobody will mind if I open your head before Christmas. My hot-headed friend was hiding behind a high pile of wooden boxes ready for shipping. I grabbed a heavy, empty dolly, gave it a flying start, Sent it crashing into the bottom box of the pile. It was beautiful. The biggest crash since 29. It was a tough fight, but Mom, I don't think I won. At best, it was a draw. About the 15th time I belted him, he belted me right back. Then he got his hands on a hammer laid it across the side of my head. I got the hammer, did the same for him, and made a hole in one. He fell squarely into a man-sized packing case lying at the foot of the packing bench. I was getting weak, dizzy. I had to hold him. One thing to do, top a case lying right there. Already nails part way in. Put it on, right right over him. Nail it on. Good and tight. Good and tight. Good and tight. Everything is going black. Then everything went white. Hey, corny as this may sound, where am I? You're in the hospital, Johnny, darling. Hmm? But don't worry. It's only a slight concussion. They brought you here last night. Oh, I suppose I have a hammer-shaped hole in my head. No, no, darling. It hardly shows. Uh, oh. How could it? These bandages covering it up. Well, at least I got him. Hmm? You what, dear? I got him. The 
kill her. Oh, no, dear. You couldn't have. They're still looking for him. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. What time is it? Eleven in the morning. I've got to get out of here. Why? Johnny. Johnny, please. Johnny, you're not supposed to get up. Oh, nurse. Nurse. If they let him get away after all my trouble, somebody was going to need a doctor. Judy and I hit the department store in 12 minutes flat. One minute later, I was in the shipping department talking to the head man. Now, now, Mr. Dollar, just calm down. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> now, exactly what is it you want to know? That big packing case, the one that was lying right here in front of the bench last night. Where is it? Oh, uh, the great big one? Yes, the great big one. The one about eight feet long and three feet wide? Yes, the one about eight feet long and three feet wide. Well, there was something very peculiar about that case. You're telling me. Where is it? Well, this morning we came to work. The boys saw it all packed up, so they put it on the truck for upper New York State. Oh, no. Oh, indeed they did. But what was peculiar about it, even though they found it all ready to go... Later on, they found all the merchandise that was supposed to go in it lying around loose. It had never really been packed. Well, then quick. The least you can do is tell me where it went. Well, now that I can do. That box was the boss's big annual charity shipment of goods. That particular box is on its way to some of the unfortunates who'll be spending this Christmas away from home. All right, so where is it? By now, it should be at the New York State Prison up in Arsening. Expense account, item five, $12.80. Dinner check at Pietro's, where I had asked Miss Judy Whitehall to wait for me the night before, and where I inadvertently stood her up. Although how a gal can stand up after eating $12.80 worth of food, more than I can figure out. Um, let's see, uh, oh, expense account item six, ten dollars. Medical supplies for those poor CBS sound men, Fern Surrey and Billy Gould, who had to break all that glass during the show. Expense account total, uh, $511.50. You may think this amount is a little high, but, uh, isn't everybody at this time of the year? Uh, signed, yours, hmm, truly... Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Gordon C. Hughes. Stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Jay Novello, Georgia Ellis, Marlene Ames, Parley Bear, Paul Duboff, and Connie Crowder. The special music is written and conducted by Leith Stevens. Your announcer is Bob Stevenson. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Those two pleasant gentlemen of music, Juan Monroe and Gene Autry, will be around with special Christmas music tonight on CBS. On his caravan, Vaughn will feature a medley of Christmas carols, and you'll hear the maestro and his band featuring Vaughn's new song success, The Jolly Old Man in the Bright Red Suit. Gene Autry will bring you Christmas music and the Christmas Eve story, Western style. Be sure to hear these two Saturday night CBS stars Vaughn Monroe and Gene Autry on most of these same CBS stations. Now stay tuned for Vaughn Monroe's Caravan, which follows on most of these same stations. This is CBS, where yours truly, Johnny Dollar, meets adventure every Saturday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System.
Time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Edmund O'Brien, starring in another adventure of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Great Columbian Life Insurance Company. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during the investigation of the circumstances surrounding the murder of your policyholder, Loyal B. Martin, or how to take a vacation in Fairfield County. Expense account item one. $3.20 mileage from Hartford, Connecticut to the country estate of the deceased. I drove up a long cement driveway toward the mausoleum-type manor house. There were rolling green lawns liberally sprinkled with statuary. And the thought occurred to me that if he had spent much of his life here, the late Mr. Martin was most fortunate. He'd feel right at home in a cemetery. My name is Dollar. I'm here to see Mrs. Martin. Oh, yes. Mrs. Martin. Uh-huh. I'm afraid I'll have to disappoint you. The widow has gone shopping the day after the death of her husband. Something attractive in morning clothes, I'm sure. Well, what time is she expected back? I have no idea. But it shouldn't be long. Do you uh, mind if I come in and wait? You'll forgive my asking, young man, but just what is your business here at Loyal Haven? I was sent here by the insurance company. Oh, why, yes. Well, then do come in. Oh, here, right in here. Uh, I'm uh, Mrs. Tompkins, the housekeeper, Mr. Dollar. I was with Mr. Martin for over 30 years. He was a wonderful man. This furniture also looks like it might have been with Mr. Martin for over 30 years. Victorian, isn't it? Yes. Pure. Loyal... Uh, Mr. Martin, that is, was an expert on the Victorian period. Uh, please sit down. Thank you. Oh, Mr. Dollar, I... I suppose you'll think it's indelicate of me at this time, but, uh, About Loyal's insurance, his policies, uh, did they... Yes, uh, Mrs. Tompkins, uh, they did. One of his policies leaves you a nice, sizable amount. But before you start counting it, maybe you and I had better have a little understanding. Yes? Well, I'm not here to represent the payoff department... I'm here to investigate the murder. Oh, I see. Yes, before the company pays off, they want to make sure that among the beneficiaries, they don't pay off the murderer, because they they really don't have to do that. Oh, I didn't realize... No, neither do a lot of people. You know, that's the way quite a few good murders are wasted. Yes, I suppose you're right. Well, if that's what you're here for, I suppose you'll want to talk to the police... Lieutenant Markwood is in the library. That's where it happened. Oh, library, huh? Well, that might help. If I can't find any other answers, I can always try looking some up in a book. Which way do I go? The door, just across the hall. Thank you. And what a hall. The only thing missing was old Queen Victoria herself. Even the musty odor clinging to the green velvet seemed to have been passed down through the centuries. There was a brace of moth-eaten pheasants on the wall and a bouquet of moth-eaten flowers under glass on a marble-top side table. The library was the same. But there were three things that looked out of place. A, an old suit of armor. B, a glass case filled with new, well-polished sporting rifles and shotguns. And C, a very gruff-looking lieutenant of the police who eyed me as I came in. And who are you? Oh, here. Here's my little breath saver. Oh, yeah, Johnny Dollar. They told me you'd be here. Well, I've told everybody else I better tell you don't touch anything. They want to re-fingerprint the whole room. Okay, okay. What'd you find, Lieutenant? Nothing but the cadaver with two bullet holes in his back. Haven't got a caliber report from ballistics yet. Have you an estimated time of departure? Yeah, the coroner says Martin died after dinner last night. Uh-huh. Anything to go on? Just the usual. Faith, hope, and suspicion. 
His wife, too young and too pretty for an ugly old buck like Martin, must have married him for his money. Then there's that housekeeper, Sarah Tompkins. Yeah, I met her on the way in. And she used to be the old man's intended, from what I can find out. Probably jealous of the young wife. Then there's the brother, Marty. He showed up a few weeks ago, broken brooding. Probably in love with the young wife. And then there's Nick Bellotti, a private detective who hired himself out as Martin's bodyguard. Bodyguard, huh? No doubt also in love with the young wife. Could be. Who's your choice? Except for the fact that there are only two bullets, I think they all did it. The nose through which Lieutenant Mark would talk was a long one. And in more ways than one, a horn of plenty. For out of it had poured enough motives and suspects to furnish a dozen murders. I started through this cast of characters and found that all of them had very little to say and didn't want to say it. The first I dug up was the bodyguard, my brother investigator, Nick Pilati, as he returned from a horseback ride. Glad to have you on the case, Dollar. The police have tied my hands. They told me to stay out of it, but to stick around. Have you got any ideas? Everybody seems to think it was an inside job that somebody in the household did it. I'm not so sure. The reason I was around was because old man Martin made too many dollars and too many enemies doing it. But that's only my opinion. Why don't you talk to the old boy's younger brother, Marty? I found Marty living the life of Riley. He was upstairs in his room, cuddled up to a 20-year-old bottle of brandy, which was still underage to be around a, the kind of book he was reading. Yeah, I'll tell you something, Dollar. My brother and I never did get along. Yeah, you'd find that out anyway. Why'd you come back here, Marty? Because Loyal's little bride, Joy Ann, sent for me. She was afraid of him, and she didn't know if he was on to her. Was he? <laughs> About that, you'll have to talk to Joy Joy Ann didn't get home until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I caught up with her 20 minutes later as she came dripping out of the swimming pool. The suit she was wearing would have gotten her pinched on the Riviera. Oh, that was refreshing. Well, uh, it certainly is. Oh, toss me that towel, will you? Yeah, surely. Here, Mrs. Martin. Uh, Joy Ann, I hate formality. Who are you? Well, I'm from the insurance company, here to find out whether you killed your husband or not. Hmm, good for you, Mr. Dollar. That's what I like. Men who get right down to the point. I was told you were here. Oh? Nobody told me about you. Come on over and learn. I want to stretch out here in the sun. Here. You man the fly swatter. Okay. Come on, sit down. Here beside me. If it gets too warm, slip off your shirt. Oh, thank you. Well, suppose we start talking business. Marty tells me you sent for him to come here because you were afraid of your husband. How come? Well, I knew Marty before I knew Loyal. As a matter of fact, he's the one who introduced me to... What do you call a dead husband? You call him unlucky, I guess. Anyway, for the purposes of this conversation, I'll know who you mean if you just say husband. But you didn't answer my question. I meant, were you afraid of your spouse? And if so, why? Yes, I was afraid of him. Oh, I might as well tell you, Mr. Dollar. I want to be frank with you. The only thing Loyal didn't have to offer me was love. I seem to be a girl who needs just that. Frankly, I... I tried to make up the deficit. Mrs. Tompkins, the housekeeper, saw to it that my husband found out about it. From then on, it was like living with a madman. So endeth my confession. So beginneth my suspicions. What about this housekeeper? Well, until I came along, she always thought that Loyal would wind up marrying her. Oh, don't get me wrong. I realize that I'm still the best jury bait around. If you killed him, you might make some headway with a self-defense plea. Thanks. I remember that. In the meantime, just in case this thing gets messy for me, and it shows signs, I'm going to spend what's left of my free time enjoying myself. Well, that won't sound good to a jury, but it sounds good to me. If I spend too much time around here... I might wind up having to plead self-defense myself. Oh? From me? No. From that bathing suit. I spent the rest of the afternoon trying to keep two eyes on four people, reading from left to right. 
Brother Marty stayed in his room, finishing his book and his brandy. Nick Bellotti, the bodyguard with no body to guard, got back on his horse and cantered off into the sunset. The joyous widow, Joy Ann, locked herself in her room, and all I could get through the keyhole was the sound of a light and lovely snore. I couldn't tell whether it was the genuine article or not. Having no way of checking, I picked up the trail of Sarah Tompkins, the housekeeper. She, at least, was apparently up to no good. I found her in the library doing just what Lieutenant Mark would have told her not to do, smearing the surfaces of Mr. Martin's desk with a dust rag. And as anybody knows, you can't fingerprint a dust rag. Hey, cut it out! How dare you? Mr. Martin's private study. Those are the police private fingerprints you're messing up. I was doing nothing of the sort. I was dusting his desk. I always do it at this time of day. Get out of here. You don't belong in here. Keep your wig on, Mrs. Tompkins. I'll not be told what to do by outsiders. Everything was all right until outsiders started coming in. If it wasn't for outsiders, Loyal would still be alive. First that girl, then his brother and that detective. Now it's the police and you. Why did any of you have to come here? Why couldn't you leave us alone? Now calm down, Mrs. Tompkins. Try to calm down. Yeah, now, what's going on in here? What? Oh, and what are you two lovebirds up to? It's all right, Lieutenant. I'll tell you about it later. All right, but get her out of here. I've got some looking to do privately. Take her down to her room and then come back. You mean you got something hot? It ain't cold. Okay, Mrs. Tompkins, come on. <laughs> but I haven't finished in there. Come on, you can get it later. There's just time for you to take a little rest before dinner. Oh, but I never rest this time of day. He didn't like me to. Mrs. Tompkins, come on, tell me. Really. Why were you wiping off that desk? Those police this morning. Scattered white powder all over his desk. He would have been furious with me. He hated any kind of... The shots had come from the library. And that's where I went, but not fast enough. By the time I got there, Lieutenant Markwood was dead. And whoever had done the shooting was gone. Apparently through an open window. Markwood still clutched a shotgun he'd grabbed out of the gun case but hadn't had a chance to use. Two things had just died in that room. The lieutenant and the hot piece of evidence he'd never had the chance to pass on to me. In just a moment, we return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first... The cream of the wit and the best of the music, which Arthur Godfrey brings you in the daytime on CBS, can now be heard on Godfrey's Digest, a new Saturday evening show heard on most of these same CBS stations. Listen tomorrow night and hear the week's fastest flashes of the Godfrey humor, the top song sung by Jeanette Davis and Bill Lawrence, the finest singing of the Mariners. Arthur Godfrey's Digest and the Goldbergs are the latest addition to CBS's great Saturday nights. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Hey, what happened? Oh, Markwood. Yeah, he's dead. Well, what are you doing, Sour? I'm looking for what there seems to be a shortage of around here, Bilotti. Clues. You don't mind where you look, do you? Rule number one, don't get caught frisking dead cops. Forget about it, Bellotti, will you? Maybe I can suffer from lapse of memory for you sometime. That's a deal. Got any idea what you're looking for? No. But whatever it was, it was important enough to get him killed. I'd hope maybe there'd be something in his notebook, for instance. Any luck? Well, very little. It's a brand new book, only one notation in it. Here it is. Check tattooing diameter. Recheck penetration. What do you make of that? It's too scientific for me. I'm a skip case and divorce type detective myself. All I know is you'd better put that book back in his pocket and leave it there. Yeah, I guess you're right. A nice timing, Bellotti. And remember, thanks for the loss of memory. Forget it. Hey, what happened? What's going on here? Oh, good Lord. Lieutenant Markwood. Who did it? Dealer's choice. So far, the dealer's the only one who knows. First my brother, now Lieutenant Markwood. There'll be... Real trouble about this? Johnny, shall I call the police? Drop the innocent access-in-law. I'll call them. No, maybe i better do it, Marty. If everybody will stop pleading not guilty by wanting to call the police, I'd like to get a word in. The police have already been called. Now, if you'll get out of here, I'd like to try earning my salary. 
had had longer ears and more soulful eyes, I would have been all bloodhound because I could sniff out the first of the trail. The smell of cordite told me that Lieutenant Markwood's killer and I'd have been inside the room when he fired or just outside with the weapon pointed through the still open window. Outside, the grass formed a deep, wet rug right up to the house and smothered any immediate hopes I'd had of finding footsteps. But ten feet away, I had better luck. A ray of light from inside spotlighted something that looked like it might be a star witness. It was a thirty-two caliber revolver. I scooped it up with my handkerchief and went back through the open window to look it over. Under the light, I checked six empty chambers and a crimson smear on the walnut grip. If somebody was feeding me a herring, it sure was red. But it wasn't blood. It was lipstick. I'd like to introduce myself, Dollar. I'm Sergeant Norrin McDougal. How are you, Sergeant? Ah, poor Markwood. Thank the Lord he didn't have any wife and kids. I'm glad to hear that. Cops usually do. Well, that's one good thing about it. When a police officer goes, there's plenty of them that lives on to fight back. All the police in the world. You can throw in the private ones, too, Sergeant. Thanks, Dollar. And now, maybe I'd better take your statement. Well, it won't take long. I heard the shots from the hallway, and I came back. He was killed either from inside the room or just outside the window. I didn't get a look at the killer, but I found what might be the murder gun. Here it is. Uh, watch that handkerchief. Hmm. Thirty-two caliber. Yeah, how does that match up with the gun that killed old man Martin, do you know? Same caliber. Uh-huh. Huh. I wonder what he was doing with his shotgun. It ain't loaded, and Mark would knew better than to wave an unloaded gun in the face of a full one. Did you get anything else out of ballistics, Sergeant? Uh, headache. Dollar, what we got from ballistics don't add up with what we got from autopsy. Well, how's that? Those two slugs ended Martin's body an inch and a half apart. But, according to the shallow penetration, they were fired from a distance of 300 yards. Now, do you know anybody who could do that kind of shooting with a thirty-two? Well, that's pretty fancy shooting. Could it have been done with a stationary mount? Oh, not a chance. The body would have started falling after the first shot. And you can't re-aim a stationary mount that fast. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, I didn't have a chance to spend much time with Markwood before he got it, so I, I don't have much to work on. You got anything to spare? Just a lot of routine confusion so far. You know yourself, Dollar. You take four witnesses, you're bound to get at least two different stories. Uh, two of the people that heard the shooting when Martin got killed last night said they heard two shots. The other two ear witnesses said they heard one. The only thing the whole four agree on is that they didn't see anything. Well, that sounds familiar. Thanks anyway, Sergeant. Sure, anytime. Hey, Sam. Yeah? Take this gun into town. Tell ballistics to run it through for fingerprints and check it against those slugs in the Martin case. I want to report right away. I hitched the ride with that gun into the ballistics department. While waiting for the test to be made, I asked some questions and I came up with a real brain buster. Despite the fact that the penetration report said that Martin had been shot from a distance of 300 yards, his skin and clothing had been tattooed with powder indicating the shots had been fired at close range. The tree that little puzzler put me up would have made the giant redwood forest look like a hedge. Then they gave me the ballistic report. The lands and grooves scored into the slugs by the revolver barrel proved that both Loyal Martin and Lieutenant Markwood had been killed by the 32 caliber gun I'd picked up in the yard. No prints on it. Registered owner, the young lady who looked much better in a bathing suit than she'd ever look in the electric chair. The widow, Joy Ann Martin. Yeah? Who is it? The Hartford Horseshaw. Dollar, I want to talk to you. Oh, I'll be with you in a second. I'm just out of the shower. Okay. First she was in the pool, now it's the shower. She's also in plenty of hot water. Hi. Don't pay any attention to my hair. Hmm. Don't worry, I won't. I suppose you think it's a silly time of night for me to be taking a shower, but I thought it might help me to get to sleep. Well, I'm afraid I won't. Why, Johnny. You, uh... You were pretty careless with that gun, weren't you? What gun? 
That handy little thirty-two caliber gun with the handy little registration number engraved on it that told the nasty old police that you bought it six weeks ago. Oh, well, my gun's right here in the drawer. I, I bought it to protect myself from my husband. Here, Miss Johnny. Johnny, it's gone. It's real gone. It's done gone and killed two men so far. And if you can't do some fast talking and some fast proving, it stands a good chance of shortening your pretty little life expectancy. Somebody must have stolen it. Oh, no. That's not even a down payment on a story. Oh, but, Johnny, there's a whole house full of people who could have done it. Not only that, they'd, they'd be glad to get me out of the way if they could. Why? Well, Mrs. Thompson, because she hates me. Loyal's brother, Marty, because I stand to inherit everything. What about Nick Bellotti? Doesn't he have an axe to grind? I don't know what it could be. Okay, skip it. Tell me, do you remember hearing two shots being fired around here any time before your husband was killed? Probably away from the house? Why do you ask that? Because I want to know, did you? You amaze me. Yes, I did hear two shots. The day before Loyal was killed. I was horseback riding down by the walnut grove. I remember because my horse shied. Well, this is coming a bit too readily to be readily believed. But how big is that walnut grove? Not very big. Yeah? Can you spot those shots a, a little closer? They sounded as if they came from about the middle. I, I didn't stay to find out. I guess I frightened easily. Yeah. Yeah, you frightened me easily. Why, Johnny? Why? I'll tell you why. Because whether you shot anybody or not, you're a murder, baby. Oh, Johnny. I didn't kill them. Got to believe me, Johnny. Uh-uh. I don't have to. But just for a minute, I will. What is there about police drivers? Even out in the country, they got to lay on those sirens. Johnny, please. Come on, you better get dressed, sweetheart. I told them I'd keep you occupied till they got here. Why, you... You... The police took Joanne and her hurt feelings off to the pokey. I took myself and my hurt cheek off to bed. The next thing I had to do had to be done by daylight. So I took over Joanne's painfully empty and prettily perfumed sack, set the alarm for dawn, and snored up a storm. I never knew before how much went on in the country so early in the morning. On the way to the walnut grove, the damp air washed the cobwebs out of my head, and I started thinking. Now, first, Royal Martin had been found dead with two bullet holes in him, yet two of the witnesses, Joy Ann and the housekeeper, Mrs. Tompkins, had heard only one shot. Second, that powder burn tattooing on the body, denoting a close-range killing, was in violent argument with a bullet penetration report which screamed long-range killing. Those facts added to what was in Lieutenant Markwood's notebook, plus that shotgun clutched in his dead hand, came close to tallying up the total that had cost him his life. Inside the grove, I found four walnut trees with hollows in their trunks. The first one gave me a handful of nuts and a fancy sassing by an irate squirrel. The second one came up with a handful of spunk water on a wet cuff. And the third, I found what I was looking for. I found about two pecks of clean cotton waste. That is, clean, except for some powder burns. Everything was falling into place, including a blunt instrument which hit me on the head from behind. But before I hit the ground, I saw Brother Marty Martin legging it back towards the house. I made it up the house and then up the hill and onto the trail and was just starting up the stairs when I heard another out-of-season 4th of July. Okay, Bella. I got him. Yeah. Yeah. So I see. It was self-defense. I had to do it. I hated to butt in on your case, but all of a sudden everything stacked up and I knew he was your man. When I threw it in his teeth, he made a try for his gun, so I dropped him. You sure did, Bellotti. Well, I owe you a lot of thanks. But if you don't mind, I'll take over from here. Sure, help yourself. Good. 
And, uh, I think the first thing you'd better do is hightail it into town, get your story filed with the police. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're all straight now, so you can back me up. 100%, Nick, all the way. Now get going. Come on. Okay, Donna. See you later. Sergeant Norman McDougal. Yes, sir. Sergeant McDougal. Johnny Dollar, Sergeant. Oh, yeah, Dollar. Uh, what's new? Well, just another corpse. And in just about 15 minutes, the guy who made it one and conspired on the other two killings is going to walk right into your arms through the station house door. What? Who is it? Nick Bellotti, New York private license. He just shot his partner in this thing, Marty Martin. You're crazy. What about this girl? It was her gun. That was their fondest hope, Sergeant, to pin it on her. They borrowed her gun, fired two slugs from it into some cotton waste, and took the slugs and stuck them in a shotgun shell. One shot, just like both ladies said they heard. The shotgun Lieutenant Markwood was looking at when he died was really the Martin murder weapon. Oh, that takes care of the powder burns and the shallow penetration, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Dollar. I'll be waiting for him. Hey, wait a minute. What's he walking in here for under his own power? To tell you an early morning bedtime story, just before you go off duty. He'll give you a pitch about a self-defense killing. It's a lie. The victim wasn't carrying a gun. If he had been, he would have used it on me. But he didn't. He used a sap. The sap. Expense account, items two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Six hundred and twenty-four dollars entertainment. Appeasing a rich widow with rich taste. Expense account, items one through thirteen inclusive. $160 entertainment of poor insurance investigators with extravagant taste. Expense account item 14, $7.80 mileage, New York to Hartford. You may disagree with that item, claiming that I finished the case in Fairfield County. But I didn't finish the case until I left her. And New York City is where I left her. Expense account total... $823. Signed, yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in the Harry M. Popkin United Artists production, D.O.A. Featured in our cast were Irene Tedrow, Walter Burke, Ted DeCorsia, John Daner, Gene Bates, and Ed Begley. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us again next week when Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Ladies and gentlemen, CBS invites you to hear Senator Brian McMahon on the Capitol cloakroom over most of these same Columbia stations tomorrow night. Senator McMahon is chairman of the Joint Congressional Committee on Atomic Energy. And when he's interviewed by CBS newsmen Eric Severide, Bill Shadell, and Griffin Bancroft, this will be the first detailed discussion of the hydrogen bomb and its implications. Remember the first discussion by a high government official since President Truman's historic announcement earlier this week. Remember that CBS's Capitol Cloakroom, tomorrow night at 10.30 p.m., over most of these same CBS stations. Be sure and be listening. This is CBS, where, incidentally, Arthur Godfrey's digest of wit and humor is also heard every Saturday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>